0: joy is the heart of celebration journey with me i want you to think something think of something that brings you joy now understand i'm going to talk a little bit about joy today there's a lot that can be said so give me an opportunity because some of you have studied joy and you might walk out today thinking well why didn't he talk about this this and this give me three more chances after today okay i can remember just the joy that i felt thank you When I woke up one Christmas morning and opened a gift that was so amazing, it was a 007 briefcase that you press one button and it turns into a rifle. I played with that thing. I brought that thing with me everywhere. I tried to bring it to school. It was amazing. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. What joy it brought me. I can remember hardly sleeping the nights leading up to our vacation. I think I was seven years old. And we hopped in our new, uh, whatever year, Chevy, uh, 440 engine, station wagon, and we drove out west for two months. My dad was an English teacher, so he could take that break. And I I can remember all the places that we visited. I can remember all the comic books that I read in the car. We had a great time. I can remember, not too long ago, a Super Bowl, yes, <laughs> it was a Super Bowl in which my Eagles played, and, and no, no, no slam to Pats players, Pats fans, but I could hardly stay in my seat because what happens when your team scores a touchdown? You can't sit down. You've got to jump up, and you say, yes, yes, and you punch the air, right? This is, and and it, was, it was an exciting time, people. Oh, it was an exciting time in our house. I can remember, though, not too long ago, in which my sister on the other end of the line, phone line, began to share with me something that God was doing in my oldest brother, Ken's life. And she has gotten together with him, and God has done something so amazing in my brother Ken's life. And turning him back, my, my brother Ken had been so filled with bitterness from 1990, uh, 1994 on, in which his 21-year-old son had been killed in a car accident. And God has been in this process of pulling him out of that bitterness, and it has taken such a long time. And now he has brought him full circle, in which he told my sister, you know what, Jenny, I've now that I'm, you know, now now that I'm staying away from the alcohol and God has really begun to show me how much I need him. And I realize that I need to get back to the Christianity that I was raised with. And he has been on this journey of rediscovering This life in Christ, and it's exciting my sister's heart, and as she's sharing with me, it's exciting my heart. And so uh, today, I want to talk about joy because some of those experiences that I shared with you, that type of joy is is seen more as as an emotion, as happiness. But the joy that we're going to talk about this month is not just a happiness, it is something, it's an attitude of the heart, it is a fruit of the Spirit, and therefore a command and... And it is something that, it, that we, we, are, we have to make a choice about every day to be filled with joy. So I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to ask that the Spirit be our teacher. So join me. Father, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would you, you would take this idea and this concept, this truth of joy found in your word, and that you would expand our minds, Lord God. You would help us as we grasp it, not just with our minds, but with our hearts today, God. And that, Father, that you would instill in us this joy, a celebration of who you are. And I just ask you, Father, would you open our eyes and by your spirit teach us these profound life-changing truths. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. So I realize that we're in a series called Some Good News, and we're going to take a break from that series called Good News, and we're going to step into a new series called irrepressible joy you know what irrepressible means it means you can't hold it back is, is that a type of joy that you would like to be beating in your heart this irrepressible this desire this joy that just wells up within you and you can't hold it back and the devil can't hold it back and the devil in circumstances can't Hold it, hold it down, but it, it just erupts from your heart. Is that not the type of joy that you would like to walk through every situation in your life? Because James 1.3 says, consider it pure joy, pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many so I believe as we're going through this this concept of joy this month, called irrepressible joy, that God has this desire to instill in our hearts this joy that cannot be held back, so that when we're entering trials, we can actually experience joy. So. The problem, though, I think that we encounter is that we're lacking some understanding and actually possessing, as we're going to see today a bit, a misunderstanding of what joy is. You know, when I was praying this morning, I usually spend a little bit of time in the Word and then I get into prayer and then I I focus Sunday mornings and I focus on the the sermon. And and as I was praying this morning for you guys, I I could not pray as I usually do for various circumstances in your life. Forgive me for that. But all I could pray for as I just stood in my, my family room and no one else was downstairs was just lifting my hands and just Asking God fill us as your church with your joy. I began walking around the downstairs, praying. God fill these people with your joy, and and and, and instead of focusing on the trials that we're going through, which would be fine, I do that. But God just kept praying through me, joy, filling them with joy. I couldn't get beyond that. But f- f- you know what? I, here, here's what I want to do, because because we need to see that there's a little bit of a barrier. In our understanding, grasping this concept of joy. So here's what I'm going to have you do. And I realize for some of you, it feels childish. Please don't feel that way, though. And I, I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to imagine. So close your eyes, everybody. All heads bowed. Close your eyes. And I want you to picture in your mind, as best you can, God. Just take a moment. And I want you to picture, to the best of your understanding, God. If it's clear enough. Begin in your mind to describe him. Can I ask you, as your eyes are closed and all heads are bowed, what is his disposition? Is it expressionless? Is there a smile on the face of God? Did you see him rejoicing? Let me ask you this do you see him laughing? Can you didn't open your eyes. Here's the sad truth. Most Christians never picture God that way. They don't picture him with a smile on his face. They don't picture him rejoicing and they never picture him laughing. Can I just ask you this? Are you made in the image of God? Church, are you made in the image of God? Yes, you are. Do you ever laugh? I realize going through hard times, it can be hard, but do you ever laugh? And if you're made in the image of God and you laugh, can you not understand the, the heart of God? And I love the way one person puts it. He says, there is an irrepressible laughter in the heart of God. Now, much of the time when we're reading laughter due to the context of, of, you know, in the Jewish community, laughter is many times a mockery. When God laughs from his throne, he is mocking. But the I want you to understand the joy in the heart of God. And if we can't grasp the utter irrepressible joy in the heart of God, even where he would laugh with his people, we're, we're going to miss this understanding of joy for us, and we will not be able to walk in it because of how we are viewing God. We are made in his image, church. The fruits of the Spirit includes joy, which tells me that this is something that we need to fight for, because the truth is, as we grow up, some, well, let me back up, when we were younger, Do you remember those times of laughter and joy and running around and playing, just having so much fun? I also remember the times of getting into fights with my brothers. Okay, I understand that. But what joy that there was. Um, And it was more than just looking forward to opening gifts from under the Christmas tree, right? It was just a joy. But somehow, you know, when I came to Christ, that joy, a true, real joy, not just a happiness, which is an emotion, began to erupt in my spirit. But as time goes on, is it not true? Is it not possible that that joy begins to fade? It begins to fade for a number of reasons. It it begins to fade because of life's trials failures, hurts, heartaches, and even familiarity begins to steal away that childlike joy. You know, I I told Gracie, wherever Gracie is, I said, you know, if there is a gift of laughter, God gave it to you, right? Oh, what a joy to be able to laugh and enjoy his presence. How many of you laughed around your Thanksgiving meal? Oh, I hope all of you did. What a time to be able to celebrate his his abundant goodness and to feel that joy in our hearts. Can I be honest with you? Right now as I'm preaching, I'm I'm kind of wanting to do an Irish accent, and here's the reason why. Because (laughs) the thing that prompted me to take this time and the Spirit of God begin to speak to me was a video that I watched by Rend Collective who is Irish, okay, and it's a seven-minute video about the joy of the Lord, and that's where you find that quote, and I I just, there's an irrepressible laughter in the heart of God. Now, can I be honest with you, that as as a child is growing up, if someone were to tell me that there's an irrepressible laughter in the heart of God, that there's such a joy that he rejoices, I mean, what does rejoicing look like to you? Do you see God dancing before his his throne? Do you see God standing and just lifting his hands and saying, yes, with this voice of triumph? Do you see him rejoicing over you with, with singing? Because Zephaniah 3.17 promises me that that is what he does, over you. He rejoices over you. What does rejoicing even look like? And I feel that as time goes on, we kind of go through these times of celebration, losing that focus of joy. I want us to reclaim that joy. Yeah, so that seven-minute video really impacted me from Ren Collective, really challenging me in this concept of joy. Um, And and it was only seven minutes, and there were numerous sound bites that really resonated with me and really stirred something up within me. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 145, and we're going to read several verses from there. We're going to read from several passages, actually. And I want us to consider this concept of celebration. Celebration it says in Psalm 145, I'm gonna start reading with, from verse uh, one, it says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praises. Greatness, no one can fathom. That means to plumb the depths of. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your, uh, your excuse me, and I will proclaim your great deeds. Sorry, I have so much underlining in this, it begins to fade and blur the words out. Verse seven, they will celebrate your abundant goodness, and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Church, celebrate your abundant goodness. Can I confess to you that I grew up in a church culture that exalted, that that even enshrined concepts such as seriousness, reverence, and solemnity. Now, those words are not foreign to the Scriptures. Our problem, though, today is that most of those are found in the King James Version, and that language has changed over the last 400 years. Can I I give you an example? And, And because of this, worship in my church and in many churches around us We got caught in tradition, and may I even say the traditions of the elders that I preached on last week, the traditions of the elders. And all I'm saying is there was this tradition of how to worship, and we began to redefine words, began to expand words, but we latched onto a concept that was unbiblical, unbiblical. And it comes down to us in our church culture, comes down to us as the tradition of the elders. Let me just share one with you. Actually, I'm going to share more, but the phrase that's found in the King James Version, solemn assemblies, solemn assemblies. This Hebrew word, solemn assemblies, is actually one Hebrew word. Here's what it means. Are you ready? Brace yourselves. It means assembly. Assembly, especially on a festival or a holiday, solemn is added. Now, can I tell you why? Because we've lost the definition of solemn. Most of us, when we think of solemn, we're gonna think of the third and fourth definition that I'm gonna read to you, and it is not. Here's the first definition, Webster's, marked by or observed with full religious ceremony, okay? There was a prescribed way to do this. The second one is formal ceremonious. Now, I can grasp a hold of that first one. The second one, okay, all right. Formal, ceremonious. Okay, all right. I I can see some of that in these solemn assemblies. Here's number three, highly serious, grave. That is not what the Hebrew word brings out in any way, by the way. And number four, somber, gloomy. I grew up learning Number one, we never used the word celebrate. We truly never did. It was somber worship, solemn worship. Now, I'm kind of there with you on solemn, as long as we understand it, that it's marked and observed by a a ceremony, something religious, a prescribed way of doing things. It was prescribed. But joy would not be a part of that, as far as my upbringing goes. And the focus was on this concept of somber. Do you know what somber means? Let me tell you what Webster says somber means. Two two definitions. Number one, very closely related. Number one, dark and gloomy. Number two, grave and melancholy. Here is what I have to say about that. There is no such thing found in the Bible anywhere concerning somber worship. You never find it. It is nowhere to be had. Our God is not a somber God. He is, somber worship is unheard of. It is a tradition of the elders. It comes to us through church culture. And whenever church, remember what Jesus said, he rebuked the Pharisees because they adhered to the tradition of the elders, even when it contradicted the word of God. Somber worship contradicts the word of God. Do you know that the word reverence, I'm all for reverential worship, as long as we understand what that word means. It doesn't mean somber. Reverence to revere the Lord means you honor the Lord. Whatever he commands us to do, we honor that. That is revering the Lord. Psalm 1, excuse me, Psalm 47 1. This is the command of the Lord. Clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. Do you not realize that to revere the Lord, according to this verse, means that you shout, oh my goodness, within my church culture, if you ever shouted to the Lord, they would remove you. You see, this is the concept of somber worship that comes down to us, that is not biblical. I am all for revering the Lord. I am all for this concept of solemn and reverence as long as we understand what the King James actually meant by it, but we have lost it because words over 400 years have changed. I am all in favor of being serious. I'm actually a serious person, but there are times in which I am not serious. Seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Scripture says, be alert. Your your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Being alert is not a fruit of the spirit. It is a command that we do. So what I'm getting at is this, joy. That is something that is birthed from the heart of God. And and, and we, we, we will fail at truly grasping it if our upbringing, like mine, was all about somber worship. we will be missing missing something at the very heart of God. (coughs) Turn with me for just a moment to Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus 9, yes, an amazing passage here. In Leviticus 9, we see for the very first time Aaron, the high priest, with priests gathered around him, offering the very first sacrifices. And there's burnt offerings and guilt offerings and sin offerings and grain offerings and wave offerings and and all of this that they are doing, uh, pouring the blood out and, and, and the rich symbolism and pictures, the shadows, if you will, of that blood and these sacrifices and why they're doing it. And for the most part, these sacrifices have to do with atonement. That is this Reconciliation and therefore forgiveness that God extends to us as his fallen creatures. As these sacrifices are laid on the altar and sacrificed to him, it says in verse 23: Moses and Aaron then went in <clears throat> excuse me, then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. Listen to this. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Now, we don't know where that was. The tent of meeting was initially that tent that Moses and only Moses went into. Joshua stood outside of it, okay? And the glory, the, 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 the Shekinah glory <clears throat> would come down, the cloud would come down upon that at the entrance, and Moses would meet with God face to face, now, as they constructed the tabernacle, the tabernacle became known as the tent of the meeting. And that's where not just Moses, but the priests, Aaron in particular, as high priest, would meet with God. Now, where this glory shows up, we don't know. It may have been at the entrance. We don't know. But listen to this. Fire, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed It didn't just burn it, it consumed it. It burned up so ferociously, gone. It burned it up. It consumed it and the fat portions on the altar, which belonged to the Lord. Now, I want to ask you, don't read anymore, heads up, don't read anymore. I want to ask you, how do you think the people responded to this? In my upbringing, it would be to stand there and say, wow wow. But they did neither of those. Two things they did. The first thing they did was they shouted for joy. The second thing they did is they fell face down. What two opposite reactions to the fire of God coming from his presence, his glory, consuming the sacrifice. Now, I might be reading into this, but I ask questions. Why would they shout for joy? Can I just tell you this? Because God looked upon them and accepted their sacrifice. And by him initiating and consuming that sacrifice with joy, he in essence was saying, you are not just a blessed people. You are blessed because I have forgiven you forgiven you of all of your sins. Church, is that not something that would ignite a praise and even a shout of joy from your hearts? Well, it did them because they got it. They understood my sins are forgiven. But then they thought about it for a moment. The holy God has forgiven my sins and he is here in our presence, the very presence of God. Or to put it a different way, we are in his presence. And I can only help but thinking that they're shouting for joy at that moment. We are in God's presence. And they hit the deck and they fell face down. But can I just say this, that there are numerous passages in Scripture that tell us that there is joy in the presence of the Lord okay? It's not just the sense of awe that grips me and causes me to fall on my face. That is absolutely appropriate. But what is also appropriate is this joy, this irrepressible joy that's ignited within our heart because of who God is and what he has done and accomplished for us as his people. So the people understood, they got it, The tradition of the elders had not been so fixed in place and their response was this irrepressible, they shouted for joy and then they fell face down. That's what the Bible tells us. I'll read it if you don't believe me. It says, and when the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. This concept Uh, Another concept of a solemn feast, that doesn't mean a gloomy feast. You see, they had numerous feasts on the religious calendar. There were times set aside for celebration, celebrating your abundant goodness, Psalm 145.7 said to us. This solemn feast wasn't a gloomy feast. It wasn't a grave feast. It wasn't a serious feast feast. These feasts were actually filled with joy. This word solemn in the Hebrew is actually a different word from solemn assembly. It's two words. It has to do with feasting. But this word solemn actually means to observe a festival. Listen to this. By implication, get a load of this. It means to be giddy. To be giddy. I'm not making that up. I'm not, tr- I'm not reaching for some really whacked-out Greek scholar who's out of his mind and just wants to read things into the Hebrew. No. This, this is, you can look up in your Strong's Concordance, if you will. And, the he- and the he- when they get into the Hebrew, by implication, test this, it means to be giddy. There is, in the heart of God, this giddiness, this joy, this desire to express this joy, and that's what he's calling the people to possess during these feasts. Let's go back to the image of God. In the image of, we, we as his people are created in the image of God. And if I look within me and I see something of, that, that is not sinful, celebration, laughter, irrepressible joy is not sin actually commanded in scripture, then I have to ask, what is this in my life that is reflected from God? You see, it's because God lasts. God is giddy. God is filled with joy. God has this desire to rejoice to to dance before his people, to exalt, to to declare his abundant goodness to us so that we would be captivated by that. So when you close your eyes and you think of God, don't misunderstand me. If you think that I'm trying to say that God is not holy, you have misunderstood the very heart and nature of God. Do Do you see how important this is? To say that God is a rejoicing, celebrative God, if, if that is in any way opposed to your concept of revering God, in some way opposed to your understanding of God's justice and his holiness, then there is something within your heart that God is wanting to realign with his word. This happened. This had to happen in my heart. I remember as a teenager, I gave my heart to the Lord and I went to a a Lamb concert. Do you know who Lamb is? Wow, you're like, who is that? Lee, do you remember who Lamb is? Thank you, brother. (laughs) Anybody else? Lamb, the group called Meredith, thank you. Lamb, okay, all right. Lamb, they are a messianic uh, um, Jewish. Two guys band, and they they played Jewish music, and it was it was celebrative. You wanted to get up and dance, and you wanted to lift your hands, you wanted to shout for joy. Uh, but they also had songs that were so captivating in the in the who God was, causing you to to want to just bow down in worship of this amazing, awesome God. And I can remember being in the midst of that as people were doing all of that and expressing this joy and then this concept of the awe of God and worshiping him and bowing down. And I just thought, wow, these people are weird. (laughs) That was my thought. And, And in my heart, I began to judge them. Because I had this impression of who God was and how we were to approach him and everything that they were doing was contrary to how God had to deliver me from that. Shouting for joy and yet falling on our faces in the presence of God. Now, I'm going to talk about worship next week and how that's a part of it. Today, I don't want to do that. We could go through Hebrew words that talk about this, embedded in the very word itself, this concept of joy and expressiveness. But Zephaniah 317, it says, God rejoices over me with singing. That image of God that I challenge you to to just think about it. Did you see him in any way rejoicing? Did you see him celebrating, laughing, dancing? Because if not, I believe this is the degree to which our adversary has plundered our joy. God wants to restore that. Now back to Psalm 145. Okay, Psalm 145. Can I be honest with you? This is one of my favorite psalms. I've got a number of them. Some twenty-seven, some others. Man, just love it, love it, love it. This is a command. This this is a picture of the the congregation, the the people of God as they are gathered to celebrate. So I want to ask you, as you read through that, we read the first seven verses. How do we celebrate? We celebrate by remembering meditating, talking about his wonders, his awesome works. In our Thanksgiving, <coughs> several of us cried. Um, I guess I cried. There were, there were numerous times in which I was choked up and I couldn't say anything, and if I did... I had that real squealy voice because I was trying to talk and I was trying to cry at the same time. And the reason is because there is something that w- when I think of joy sometimes this joy wells up in me and instead of shouting I cry. Right? And when I think of the the people in my family and and and, and I know them intimately in The hard times that they have gone through, and yet to see how they have chosen to live out their lives full tilt, pursuing Jesus, that amazes me. That puts me in awe of what God has done in their lives. And I just say, God, thank you for such a family like that. Thank you that you have, you have worked in my children, you have worked in my wife. She's the most amazing woman I have ever known. The, I know the hardships. I know the intimate one-on-one conversations that we have had and the heartache that she has. And yet the choice that she makes to pursue Jesus with everything in her. The reason why I fell in love with her was because I drove her home one day and she could not stop talking talking about Jesus. She was so filled with joy. I remember, distinctly remember pulling off the exit, thinking, I'd known her for two weeks. What a fool I'd be if I don't marry this girl. Seriously. (laughs) And I said, I've never met a woman like this so filled with joy. And I've had a privilege of being able to see her walk through it. No, don't get me wrong. There have been really hard times in which the net devil has knocked her down. And every single time she has stood back up and she has rejoiced in the Lord. Man, that is God's joy because God has done something in her life and she is, she's captivated by that. And that's, that's who she is. That is what God has done in her life. She celebrates the abundant goodness. She has written books and books and books and books and books about celebrating, celebrating anything and everything. Okay, and she she doesn't just say celebrate. She's got a thousand different examples of how you can do it. And and Laura's helped out there as well. And and a, our two families and how we celebrate Christmas and what we do on Thanksgiving day. And, you know, it's, it's about celebrating the abundant goodness of God. So why do we celebrate? Let me read verses eight and nine. The Lord, this is his covenantal name, Yahweh, that became very personal to the Jewish community from the time of the Exodus on, Yahweh is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord, Yahweh, is good to all. His compassion on all he has made. And so, the very next verse all you have made will praise you, O Yahweh. That's why. Because God is gracious. The very character of God compels us. As we see that character displayed in in, what what does it say here? Um, commending your works, your mighty acts. Your glorious, the glorious splendor of your majesty, your wonderful works, your awesome works, your great deeds, your abundant goodness, your righteousness. All of these things describing the display of the very character of God, that he is a loving God and yet he is a joy filled God. And because of this display of his glory and his majesty, we are compelled to celebrate these things, and who God is and what he has done. But you know what? Joy does not come to us naturally. Our flesh tends toward cynicism and criticism, doesn't it? Our flesh has us focus on pain and the suffering of life. Our flesh pushes us to self, not God. For that reason, joy is given to us as a command. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Spirit of God has to develop within us because it doesn't come naturally to us. We fight it. And that's why I say this month, I pray, And that's all that I could pray this morning as I was praying, that that God would help us as his people, as his community to reclaim this concept of joy and expressed in celebration. Because it's not natural for us to walk in joy, but yet the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, joy is a decision. Rejoicing is a decision. Celebration is a decision. And actually, days in the Old Testament were set aside for it. So it's purposed, it's planned. Th- turn with me, we're, gonna, we're just going to read a few verses, I'm going to say a few comments, we're going to conclude, and we're going to move on into praise and worship. But Nehemiah, about 75 years or a little bit, little bit more than 85 years after they have come back to the promised land, after the exile, Babylonian exile. Understand how hard those 70 years were in captivity. And they come back, they've built the temple. <laughs> Excuse me. Nehemiah has arrived, and he is trying to bring a, a restoration of various sorts into the nation of Israel. They have been so oppressed, and now God has poured out his favor upon them again. And so they set aside many days. And in chapter 8, on the first day of the seventh month, which would mark the Feast of Trumpets, on that day, they took their shofars, and they blew those shofars. And and, and there's a sense of awe and majesty with that, but there is a sense of joy and celebration and dancing as well when you blow those shofars. How many of you have ever heard shofars? I mean, there's all different pitches, but shofar is blown, and they're strong. They're strong horns, and these are these were their trumpets, and they're commanded to blow them. They would read the word of God on that day, and they would they would have sacrifices, and they would feast. And on this day, it says there in verse nine, it's Nehemiah tells them. This day is sacred. That is, it's holy. It's set apart as holy. Not somber, but holy. Set apart as holy to the Lord your God, Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep. Now, just understand. The reason why they were weeping at this point is because they just had the law read to them. And when they came to the book of Deuteronomy, they read about the blessings and the curses. And guess which of the two had fallen upon this nation for 70 years? The curses. Do you know why? Because they had rebelled against God. They had turned their backs on him. And they said, thank you, but no thank you. And they pursued the world they had their idols, they had their personal pursuits. It's just that God was not in any of that. And so God brought judgment. And and, and as they're reading this in Deuteronomy, they begin to weep and they begin to this repentance. Church understands there's a place for this. There's a place for repentance. There's a place for mourning and weeping over our sin. But Nehemiah is simply saying, just not today. Do not grieve or weep. For all the people have been weeping. As they had listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, calmed all the people, it says, saying, be still. For this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great Joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Skipping over into verse 17, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, because they now moved into the feast, excuse me, the feast of tabernacles, the feast of booths, and they built these booths. And the reason why they did that was to commemorate, remember, talk about what God did as the Israelites came out of Egypt. That was their deliverance. Now, the deliverance happened Passover but now in the month of the seventh month they were to celebrate this because they lived in those booths, those tents for a long time now they're celebrating this they're remembering how they were brought out of Egypt how they had to live hard lives, and yet God provided every need that they have. That became now the source of celebration. No mourning, not today, only celebration. And it says, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. tell you what, church, if you were to thoroughly contemplate, meditate on your personal deliverance from your sin and the grace of God that rescued you and pulled you out of darkness. I mean, the truth is some of you have more wow type of testimonies than the rest of us. But you know what? In God's eyes, they are all wow. Because Christ redeemed and set us free and pulled us out of our sin to set our feet upon the rock of Jesus Christ. That is cause for celebration. And so Nehemiah, that's what he called them to here. So here's my question to you. What is holding you back from that type of joy? I may not answer your questions today and maybe not even next week. Hopefully, most of them by the end of the month. But you know what? This is a process as God pulls us out for whatever reason is holding you back. He wants to pull you out of that. He wants to reclaim that joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. There is a time for mourning. There's a time for weeping. There's a time for repentance. There's a time for brokenheartedness that God totally understands. Today, my question I'm going to conclude with is what's holding you back from a joy, this irrepressible joy that we see as the focal point of celebration because it all comes back to Jesus Christ, all of it, all of the feasts, the solemn feasts, the, excuse me, the giddy feasts, that's what the Hebrew means, they all point to Jesus, all of them. And Jesus is our Redeemer. He's the one that called us out of everything that the devil wanted to do to break us and destroy us. That's what he delivered us from. That's what he's he's calling us to this inheritance. And part of that inheritance is this joy. Let the Spirit of God allow that joy to be birthed in your heart. So we're, we're cel- we just celebrated Thanksgiving. We're coming down the home stretch, what, three, four more weeks before Christmas. May you, and I want to challenge you, may you find Christ at the very heart of your celebration. Because if you can do that, you will find joy welling up in your heart. Not hope that you're going to have opportunities to release and express that joy. in shouting for joy and falling on your face in awe before the presence of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If you were to do a word study on this word, rejoice. Very quickly, here's what you would find. The book of Psalms has, has this word more than any other book, hands down. More than any other book. But if you do a word study on the past tense, rejoiced, past tense, Psalms has it one time. One time. And all I'm saying is this. God wants joy in your present. For many of you, it's in your past. You can remember when you rejoiced, but God wants that joy and that rejoicing in your today, not just your yesterday. Okay, can you stand with me? Band, if you could take the stage. I want us to move now into uh, more of a celebration, a, a praise time, and then we're going to co- Excuse me, then we're going to conclude with uh, the Lord's Supper, the communion. Father, thank you for this gift of joy, this fruit of the Spirit, joy, this laughter, this enjoyment of who you are, the very character of God, expressed in all that you have done for us. For that reason, God, our Savior, we celebrate your abundant goodness. Restore to us, God, the joy of our salvation. Please, God, in Jesus' name.